0: to Pass the Hot Sauce,
1: a Roswell podcast. I'm Lisa Abigail. I'm Lorena Rose. And I'm Aliza Aura. And we're back with another mini-sode. This week, we're taking a break from our normal routine of recapping episodes of the 1999 show Roswell to talk about other fun alien-related things. Today,
2: we will be continuing our discussion of the Roswell Incident and all
0: of the information surrounding the Roswell Incident in more modern history. After the events we described in our last minisode, the Roswell Incident was largely forgotten about. It wasn't considered a UFO sighting by anyone, as far as I could tell. In fact, the only real discussion of Roswell in the intervening period was about how silly it was for the U.S. Army Air Force to have ever called it a flying saucer event at all. In his 1967 report on the UFO wave of 1947, Ted Blocker, who was an actor and singer who traveled around the country looking in local libraries for UFO reports, considered Roswell under his section on hoaxes and mistakes. He calls the incident an embarrassingly obvious mistake and says the headline claiming that a flying saucer was found was the result of, quote, a series of clumsy blunders in public relations and a desire by the press to manufacture a crashed disk if none would obligingly crash of itself, end quote. So
2: this guy, while he was traveling around the country for work, just would research UFOs on his own time? Yeah, super fun hobby. Good way to pass the hours. Yes, good use of your public library in a time before the internet. Good use of your public library now.
0: Right, yeah, and especially in the time before the internet, like you said, this was the only place where you could really go to find information that maybe wouldn't have been communicated about on a national scale, but was very much noteworthy on the local level. I like it. So, although no one was talking about Roswell as a UFO incident, there was plenty of discussion about UFOs. And a good deal of it was coming from the Government of the United States of America. Now, we're going to talk more about the various government projects that explored the UFO problem in a later minisode. So, for now, just know that from 1947 to 1969, the U.S. government operated official on-the-books programs to look into whether UFOs were real, whether they were a threat to national security, and where they were coming from 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 from, from.
2: this is an excellent use of our tax dollars or of our parents and grandparents tax dollars
0: (laughs) (laughs) well if you think about it in the context of the cold war and the soviet Mm -hmm. threat it makes a lot more sense oh no absolutely The projects were all housed under the Air Force and started pretty much with the formation of the Air Force as a separate branch of the military, no longer part of the Army as it had been during the Roswell incident of July 1947. And from the beginning of these projects, the Air Force created a great deal of public confusion and consternation by releasing only limited and sometimes Flat-out contradictory information about UFOs and about the government's position on them. And that position changed over the years, as the common sentiment within the Air Force shifted from initial serious study with Project Sign to all-out debunking with Project Grudge to a more measured but mostly skeptical approach through the longest-running program, Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book is the one that I've mentioned in connection with a show that is being worked on by one of the Roswell episode writers, Tanya St. John.
2: Ooh. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. I need to watch this show. You mentioned it before, and I still
1: haven't watched it. And you said it's on the History Channel? It's on the History Channel, which I always thought was something different than what it is. Yeah, because I thought History Channel was like documentaries Documentaries. Stuff. <laughs> all, I thought it was all nonfiction, but this is yeah. fiction. Yeah.
0: Right. I think I thought that the History Channel was uh, more like what the Biography Channel is. I think. I haven't watched any shows on that, so who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. But the History Channel now seems to be a lot of conspiracy theories, and a lot of them are about about aliens and ufos and one of the things that bothers me about this show project blue book is that in every episode they bring up roswell even though the show is set in the 50s when literally no one was talking about roswell as a ufo incident they have all of these characters who are based on real people who are like well we all know what happened at roswell and it's like dude what are you talking about
1: Right, because at that time, everybody was seeing Roswell as, like, just a hoax and a weather balloon thing.
0: Exactly, yeah. It was a nothing event. It was, like, a silly little blip for one or two days in July of 1947, and then no one thought about it anymore. And they Mm -hmm. certainly didn't think, oh, that's where the aliens landed.
2: Also, you said all of these government programs were run by the Air Force and my grandfather was a lifetime Air Forceman and now I'm just picturing him working on all of these alien projects
0: Ooh, after he so. retired
2: from like actually flying.
0: If you ever find his diaries, let us know if they talk about E.T. <laughs> e. I will. <laughs> Project Blue Book's first director was Captain Edward J. Repelt, who coined the term UFO. In his 1956 book, he says, quote, Obviously, the term flying saucer is misleading when applied to objects of every conceivable shape and performance. For this reason, the military prefers the more general, if less colorful, name Unidentified Flying Objects, UFO for short. UFO, as he notes, is pronounced... UFO, 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 and all I can imagine when I read this is a bunch of people going out into the <laughs> middle of the street in the nighttime and pointing up at the sky and yelling, like, "Halt, UFO!"
1: Thus, starting this antagonistic relationship between humans and aliens. UFO, the aliens are like, "What? What did I do to you?" Yeah, it's all because we've
0: just been name-calling.
1: Yeah, so rude.
2: We obviously have to now change our vernacular, and we obviously have to call them UFOs now.
0: Yeah, well, we'll talk about this in part four of this mini-sode. There is a new terminology that is currently being used, and we'll find out what that is. But for now, we're just going to call them UFOs, because that's way better. Continue
2: educating us about UFOs, please, Lisa.
0: Oh, why, thank you. I will, Lorena. So a lot of amazing (laughs) stories came out of Project Blue Book, and we will do, like I said, this mini-sode, so be on the lookout for that later on. Blue Book lasted from 1951 until 1969, and in that time, it collected more than 12,000 UFO reports from civilians and military personnel across the country, as well as some reports from American service members who were stationed overseas during the Korean War in the 1950s.
2: My grandfather was stationed overseas in the Korean War. See? Maybe he was involved in the UFO research
0: projects. Ooh, maybe he submitted a report. Maybe he did. Blue Book also kept open channels of communication to European governments and scientists, as there were occasional sightings there, and even a rash of UFO reports in the summer of 1953. For obvious reasons, Blue Book did not communicate about UFOs with the USSR or other communist countries, but if they did, they certainly would have gotten an earful. The USSR officially denounced UFOs as capitalist propaganda, and a representative of the Hungarian government, which at the time was communist, explained that UFOs didn't really exist because, and I quote this expert here, All flying saucer reports originate in the bourgeois countries, where they are invented by the capitalist warmongers with a view to drawing the people's attention away from their economic difficulties. End quote. I mean, (laughs) what? I sane, but I also am like, yes, that sounds true. yeah,
1: I hate capitalism. I hate capitalism as much as the next (laughs) commie, as much as the next socialist commie, but what does that have to do with this? Only the bourgeois have time for UFOs. Yeah,
0: you know, those generals are just sitting around the Pentagon like, what should we do today to advance the cause of capitalism? Hey, Hey, look up in the sky, UFO! That's how I think our government (laughs) operates. Absolutely. So, Blue Book continued collecting mostly domestic reports until 1969, when it was disbanded following the Condon Report, which concluded that UFOs didn't pose a threat to the U.S., didn't represent technological advancements beyond our general knowledge, and didn't come from outer space. Where did they come from then? So this is a great question, and it's a reason that this report is the subject of a great deal of controversy among ufologists, those who study UFOs, because the summary doesn't really match the content of the report. The report suggests that at least 20% of the UFO sightings submitted to the Air Force were essentially unexplainable. So, Lorena, who knows is the answer to your question.
2: Isn't that the whole point of a UFO? It's unidentified. is that the U? <laughs> yes. That
0: is the you. And this is something that experts have gone back and forth on. Is an unidentified flying object unidentified to the observer? Or is it unidentified to someone who knows a lot about astronomy and meteorology and the aircrafts that are currently out there in the skies right now? Because those can mean very different
1: things. I would imagine the latter because, like, literally, sometimes at night, I'm like, is that a bird or is that a bat? Or is it Superman? And if I don't know, is it a UFO? Anytime I see something in the air that I don't know what it is, it's not yeah, a UFO. Yeah, there's a
0: great quote from one of the people who I'll talk about later who uh, who testified at this congressional committee who basically says, like, if you're a good observer and you look up at the nighttime sky, you're going to see unidentified flying objects. If you do not see things that you cannot identify, then you are not looking very closely.
2: I will say I fell into a little bit of a hole um, today of videos that people have posted of like UFOs that they've seen, and like all of them except for one just looked like they were drones, Mm -hmm. and they were all like recent (laughs) videos, and I was like, okay, with our modern brains and understanding of technology, how do you think that this isn't just a drone?
0: Yeah. So this is really interesting because our conception of UFOs has changed over the years, And towards the end of Blue Book, when we had all of these uh, man-made satellites that were leaving and then re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, you saw this spike in UFO reports, and you also saw a decline in the number of reports that were categorized as unidentified because they were like, yeah, dummy, you're seeing a satellite. And I think now a lot of those are, yeah, dummy, you're seeing a drone. But there were a lot of reports that happened before then that were just unexplainable because we had no idea what they were. And so Regardless Mm -hmm. of where these things came from, the Condren Report effectively killed Project Blue Book, and that was the end of official government inquiries into the UFO problem. For the time being... Now, of course, during the time Blue Book was active, there was a great deal of UFO-related activity outside of the government as well. There were many, many articles and books about the UFO phenomenon from a variety of perspectives. There were those who thought there were scientific explanations for the saucer sightings, those who thought there were psychological or sociological explanations, and those who didn't know for sure but were pretty certain we weren't being visited by aliens. And then there were the true believers. And one of these was Donald Kehoe, a retired Marine Corps major who wrote a book in 1950 entitled The Flying Saucers Are Real. His book comes with all that reverb. So Kehoe, who wrote this book, later served as the director of NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, which was one of the largest and best-known civilian organizations that was active from 1957 to 1969. There were a bunch of these civilian organizations. They had amazing names. One of them was literally called CSI New York, which I would like to think (laughs) presaged the television show. However, their acronym stood for Civilian Saucer Investigations. Ah, But I really want to watch that show more than I want to watch a bunch of people (laughs) doing very unrealistic things in the service of analyzing blood splatter.
2: I would absolutely watch Civilian Saucer Investigations, that sounds awesome. Why isn't Sci-Fi or History Channel making that show?
0: Uh, yeah, let's get this out to them, let's tweet at them. All of our uh, Pod Squad members, if you would like to let them know this is a show that should exist, please feel free to do so, and definitely at us. Another major civilian-run organization dedicated to UFOs was APRO, the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, which was active from 1952 to 88, and which attempted to make scientific field investigations of UFO reports. And then a little later to the scene was MUFON, or MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, which split from APRO in 1969. I just like their name. Yeah. MUFON.
1: But what's mutual about it?
0: So I believe that this was kind of retconned, Condoleezza because initially they were the Midwest UFO Network when they split off from APRO, and then at some point they, uh, at some point they branched out and they became international. And at that point they went, "What's a good
1: M word?"
0: And they came up with mutual. Oh,
1: they wanted to keep. I their believe that's what happened. Mufon. Okay, just want to make sure they didn't mean mutual between our planet and theirs. No, that would be much better. Yeah, agreed.
0: So they're noteworthy because they still exist today. They claim to have more than 4,000 members worldwide with chapters in all 50 U.S. states and more than 43 countries. They have an annual meeting. And y'all, they're involved in a special UFO cruise that's happening in October 2019.
2: Who's going to send me money so I could go on this UFO
0: cruise, please? Let's set up a Patreon account <laughs> right now.
1: Um, Tabasco, if you're listening, we would like some sponsors.
0: But I think y'all might not want to give them some money after I tell you what I know next. I Uh think instead we should set up our own UFO cruise. I have a kayak. We'll just all jump in there. It'll be great.
2: (laughs) Good plan. I like it.
0: So the reason I think you probably don't want to support them is that a 2018 Newsweek article revealed that some of MUFON's high-level donors and officials had some Pretty racist viewpoints that they were not afraid to share on the internet. Yeah. Oh. And I made the terrible, terrible mistake that I would recommend no one else make of looking at these viewpoints, looking at the things that they said and going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Oh God. No, thank you, please. That's all I need to know. Yeah. Yeah. So I will, out of journalistic interest, uh, post the link to the Newsweek article on our show notes, but I would highly recommend not reading it if you care at all about your mental health. So let's stop talking about those jerks. And I want to mention one final civilian organization, the Center for UFO Studies or QFOS or QFOS. Which was founded in 1973 by Dr. J. Allen Hynek, a well-known astronomer who consulted with the government on projects Sign, Grudge, and Blue Book. He is the main character in the History Channel show that we mentioned, Project Blue Book. And I believe that two of his sons are actually consultants on that show, even though in the show he only has one child. Because it's more interesting that way. Sorry, other kid, Oh-ho-ho-ho. <laughs> <laughs> So, this organization also still exists today without the racist garbage, as far as I could find, and with more of an emphasis on science. So according to their website, quote, our purpose is to promote serious scientific interest in UFOs and their study and to serve as an archive for reports, documents, and publications about the UFO phenomenon, end quote. I would definitely recommend looking at their website if you're interested in nerding out about this stuff, like I am, because there is a lot on there, some of it more reputable than others, but all fascinating. Alright, as I mentioned, during this time the U.S. government wasn't officially investigating UFOs, but that doesn't mean they weren't interested. In 1968, the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Science and Astronautics, which I have to say... Included a young congressman, or maybe a not-so-young congressman, by the name of Donald Rumsfeld. Okay. Hosted a symposium on unidentified flying objects, which included testimony by Dr. Heineck, who we just mentioned. Dr. James E. MacDonald, an atmospheric physicist who was later involved with APRO, one of those civilian organizations. Dr. Carl Sagan, the what astronomer, work? author, and TV personality, who you may have heard of. And a couple other fellows. They were all fellows. A sociologist, a civil engineer, and a computer scientist slash engineer. And then they also had entered into the record a number of papers by men in various fields who were studying different aspects of the UFO phenomenon. And with a few exceptions, including Dr. Sagan, these men advocated for better organized, better funded, and better executed scientific research into UFOs. But as far as I could tell, no official government projects seem to have come from this. And Sagan was less opposed to this idea than he was conservative about the use of government resources to address this threat that he saw as not really being interstellar.
2: Also, where are all the ladies that are studying ufology and science? Um,
0: Lorena, Mainly I don't science. know if you know this, but ladies actually are not capable of scientific thought. And that I assume is why they weren't invited. Damn it. I cannot think of any other
2: Damn reason. It. Abs- yeah. I What was I thinking? Of course.
1: You weren't thinking because. Because my
0: little lady brain can't accommodate thoughts. <laughs> okay. So, this was a lot of background to try and give you a sense of the general atmosphere regarding UFOs or UFOs. In the United States, from the first sightings in 1947, through the Cold War tensions and terrors of the 1950s, 60s, and into the 70s. And 1978 is when a man named Stanton Friedman enters the picture, and everything changes for the little town of Roswell, New Mexico. Dun dun dun! Friedman had a career as a nuclear physicist, which he left in 1970 to devote himself full time to ufology. The study of UFOs. Which I assume is just as lucrative as nuclear physics, right? Those are the same. Probably, of course. absolutely.
2: I mean, who's paying for nuclear physicists? <laughs> Whatevs.
0: So, Stanton Friedman made his money traveling around the country giving lectures, and he also appeared on television and radio shows. As Friedman tells it in his 2008 book, Flying Saucers and Science, and I'm gonna take an aside here and say that I read this entire book and a few of his other articles and a little bit of another one of his books, and I really just think this guy is a total jerk, but also he just died this past May of 2019, so I don't wanna like hate on him too much, but I want to let everyone know that I take everything he says with a grain of salt. Or like a giant bucket or like a dump truck of salt. Like the Morton's girl <laughs> just pulls up and she's like, here's a bunch of salt for you. That's how I take what Stanton Friedman says.
2: I mean, he might have interesting knowledge even if he was a dickwad. Uh,
0: mm, we'll see. No? No interesting knowledge? We'll see. So in 1978, which to be clear is 31 years after the crash of what the military had concluded was a weather balloon, Stanton Friedman was giving an interview to promote an upcoming lecture in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and someone at the station suggested that he reach out to Major Jesse Marcel, who lived in Homa, Louisiana, and who you may remember from our last minisode because he was one of the guys from the Roswell Army Airfield who went out and collected that debris from the crash in 1947. So when Friedman interviewed him, Marcel was 70 years old and he said that he remembered finding some unconventional wreckage at some point and he remembered being told to just like let the higher-ups explain it away as a weather balloon, but Marcel wasn't sure of the date that this happened, so Friedman, helpfully, filled in the blanks for him and decided he must have been talking about the Roswell Incident of 1947. Oh, of course. That must be what he was talking
1: about. Because that's how journalism and interviews Mm -hmm. work.
0: Right. Oh, you had a long military career? Well, I've decided that what you're telling me about fits with this one specific date. Great. You're welcome. So there was a 1979 TV documentary called UFOs Are Real that was based on Marcel's statements. And then in 1980, the National Enquirer, that publication of of repute. Oh, so reputable. <laughs> I believe they published the Pentagon Papers. Is that is that correct? I think that's correct. Let's not fact check that. It's correct. So the National Enquirer published an interview in which Marcel talked about the interstellar nature of the materials. And during these few intervening years, Friedman had been working with a guy named Bill Moore to publish a book Along with another fellow named Charles Berlitz in 1980, this book, The Roswell Incident, was the first to lay out the story as a UFO sighting. And the general idea of the sighting that's taken shape over the years is that Marcel and the other Army Air Force guys went out to the crash site, at some point realized that they had a flying saucer, and they put out that story that we discussed in our first minisode that was like, we found a flying saucer at Roswell! Yay! And then confetti, confetti, confetti just burst forth from your newspaper. (laughs) So before returning the material to the base, Marcel is supposed to have taken some of it home to show his wife and 10-year-old son. So just a fun little diversion from your typical military
1: duties, you know, as you do. Sure. I'm sure that's protocol and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're not getting court-martialed for that.
2: Yeah, just take it home. Show your wife and kid. And, you know, no big
1: deal. And, like, how sa- like, if it is from another planet, or who knows... Is it safe for his kid to be touching it? You know, he let his kid touch it. Right, so
0: he did. He absolutely let his kid touch it, hold it in his own hands. And Marcel Sr. and Jr. said the material had unusual properties. Like, it wouldn't burn, so they tried to burn it. They tried to light it on fire? (laughs) They tried to light it on fire. They were like, this is from a flying saucer. That's what you do with things
2: that you're supposed to be turning over to the military, like, light it on fire. I assume it was just, like, a
0: meme where, like, they throw the lighter over their shoulder and then they walk away to see how cool they look, just, like, (laughs) walking away from an explosion. (laughs) Right? That's what the military is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this 10-year-old son would later say that... Uh, In addition to the material not burning, if you crumpled it up, it would spring back into shape because, again, what are you going to do with a material if not light it on fire and then try to ball it up in your hands? And they also saw strange hieroglyphics printed on it. Ooh, hieroglyphics. I feel like they mentioned those in
2: the pilot episode briefly, that there was purple hieroglyphics on the wreckage.
0: Hmm. Oh, I don't remember that, but maybe... So, the wreckage eventually, after Marcel and his child were done playing with it, this super secret
1: (laughs) government material. Done trying to destroy it, you mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It went back to base, and the story that it was a flying disc was released. And then it went to General Raimi at higher headquarters, and he quashed the story. And then the 10 year old Marcel Jr., who had held a flying saucer in his hands, went to school, didn't say anything about it to anyone for the next 30 plus years. Just like everyone else who was involved. And if we all have met a 10-year-old boy, we know that this makes perfect sense because they're excellent at keeping secrets.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, they definitely don't tell their friends. So there's also a theory that Mac Brazel, the rancher who initially found the wreckage, had changed his story after he was detained by the Army Air Force's and, shall we say, corrected on the details of his account. So, the conspiracy theory goes that there was some intimidation happening here. Hmm. Hmm. Regardless, the UFO story continued to grow, and in 1999, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries that was focused on the Roswell incident set up a hotline. This hotline received a call from a man named Glenn Dennis. Dennis was a mortician working in Roswell during the time of the incident. He claimed that he had received a call shortly after the crash from someone at the Roswell Army Airfield who had asked him about child-sized caskets that could be hermetically sealed, and they had also asked about how to preserve bodies that had been exposed to the elements. Why would the government need to know how to do that? Who knows? There's literally no reason other than aliens. So Dennis says that he was at the base on business later that day when he saw ambulances with wreckage of UFOs in them, and he ran into a nurse who warned him to get out of there because something sketchy was going on. And he was then ordered to leave and threatened not to say anything about a crash that may have occurred. He says he later met up with the nurse, who told him that she had been brought in to assist with an autopsy on three very mangled black little bodies. So, while there had previously been some talk of alien bodies at the crash site, Dennis's story was the first one that placed them at the airbase. But his story was sold to, you said, Unsolved Mysteries? Well, he called in after their episode. So, he sold his story to a bunch of people including dedicated ufologists who later mm, sort of had second thoughts because a lot of the details don't make any sense. And he provided some details with false information, which he said he did to protect the identity of his sources. So one particular incidence is a researcher named Carl Flock who interviewed Dennis, included him in one of his books, and then later went back and proved that Dennis had lied to him about the identity of this nurse. And Dennis said, oh, yeah, well, I lied to you, but, like, it's because I didn't want this lady to get in trouble. So whatever. So his story seems to have changed. And Roswell was now a full-blown UFO story. But as Friedman so eloquently puts it in this quote that I... Hope will demonstrate why he's not my favorite author of all time. Quote, the noisy negativists are still lying through their teeth about what actually happened. End quote. And he is referring when he says the noisy negativists, sometimes the nasty noisy negativists, because he's such a gentleman. He's referring to the many UFO debunkers out there, among them the United States Air Force, which published official responses to the Roswell story in 1994 and again in 1997. And in those reports, they say that the Roswell incident definitely didn't involve aliens, but it did involve some serious government secrets. What was the true story, according to the powers that be? Listen to our next minisode to find out. Thanks for joining us for this minisode, where we continued our discussion about the Roswell incident. We will
2: be back with more about the Roswell incident in future minisodes because we have
1: lots of other awesome content to share with you all. But first, join us next Tuesday to discuss Roswell Season 1, Episode 3, Monsters. And make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying our show, give us a rating or leave a review.
2: You can find us online at RoswellHotsauce.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce.
0: If you have any questions or any thoughts on what you'd like us to discuss in future minisodes, you can email us at RoswellHotsauce at gmail.com.
1: Until next time, remember, it's pronounced UFO. UFO! UFO!